in 19, I think, 57. It was manned by the Coast Guard, and the Navy uh, came over for target practice on Sharps Island, which is not too far from there, and they missed the target. And they fired They fired on, on the Highland Island Bar Lake. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the story behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Don Parks, a retired educator and a native eastern shoreman who spent his entire life along the banks of the Chesapeake Bay. As the son of a waterman, Don spent his formative years learning the many moods of the bay and then translated his well-cultivated background into five traditionally published books. One of his works, Chesapeake People, has been recently republished with Seekin Publishing. So welcome to the podcast, Don. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I'm very much excited to have you here because I feel like your your topic, your themes of the Chesapeake Bay and the history of the shore and the islands and all that, that's mm-hmm. sort of like in my wheelhouse. That's what I tend to write about mm-hmm. most. Great. So, um, and earlier we listened to a little bit of you reading um, from your book, Chesapeake People. Mm-hmm. And I just was kind of struck by how romantic we are about the Chesapeake Bay. I think we can't help it, especially as writers, but... For you, I mean, you grew up here and and son of a waterman, so maybe there's that extra special <laughs> romance for you. It's certainly a culture all of its own, and it has been for since way before the Bay Bridge was there. The Eastern Shore was essentially an island. If you if you think about the CND Canal, it's basically an island. Of course, it's a it's really a peninsula, but it could be an island. Before the bridges, you know, it was a long ferry boat ride to get over here. So you know, we were really isolated. People in the northern part, not so much. Because they could they could hop over that canal easily, right. but people down this way in in Dorchester and, and Worcester and Somerset, it was a, a really insular kind of place to grow up. People looked out for each other. It was just a whole different way of life, I think, than the other side because that was a population center and people were more urban and we're rural, very rural back in those days. Now it's easy to be interested in the Eastern Shore. It's it's got mm-hmm. its own interest, but going from being captivated by it to writing about it. It's, it's a journey. It's like, oh, I would like to write about it. Lots of people say it. But you've actually said, you know what, I'd like to write about it, and also I'm going to write about it. Mm. What was the process between where you thought you might like to write a book and when you s- sat down and started doing the research and the interviews and things? Well, I, I volunteer at the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum in St. Michael's. Oh, fantastic. And, and I was a docent there for a number of years. Still am. It seems like all the other volunteers, nobody was local. Only, only me, and maybe one or two others. Everybody had a lot of questions. You know, what's a peeler? You know. <laughs> you oh, <know>. sure. <laughs> yeah. Stuff we take for granted, right? Right, right, right. right. I mean, I'm sorry you know. for our friends from out of town. A peeler is a crab that has no shell. <laughs> or that's, that, that's about to have no shell. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. The more I got these questions, the more I thought, well, maybe there's other people around because the shore now is full of immigrants. Yeah. If you want to say it. Or come here, as, come we, years. Like, as we like to call and, uh, and And I think they're fascinated with all of that stuff. So I thought, well, I'll just put it on paper. Uh, I have a, bo- a, a boat, and I travel the, the rivers. And the first book was, I call it the Mid-Bay, Maryland's Mid-Bay. It goes from the Miles and Wye River down to Tangier Island, Virginia. So what I did is travel those, each of those rivers as far up as I could go in my boat. And group of two groups of islands, one in the north and one in the south. 
and I wrote about that, wrote about my voyage, wrote about the history of the area, a little bit about the people. There was at least two interviews in every chapter. And then the second book, I did a sequel, The Northern Bay, from the Susquehanna down to Kent Island. The second book's a little different because up in the northern part of the bay, you can't get all the way up the rivers like you can further south because the water is very shallow. The Susquehanna, for example, you can't get up too much past Havity Grace. And uh, you run into rocks and and a a very nasty bottom. So by then we had a small RV. So the second part of each chapter is uh, traveled by RV and do reach the head of navigation, which in the Susquehanna case is Cooperstown, New York, 600 miles away. Oh, wow. Wow, that's right. That's right. I was thinking it was Pennsylvania, but but you're right. The the river is 400 miles. And and each chapter is two sections like that. I talked to people up in New York that uh, had no clue that the Susquehanna River had anything to do with the Chesapeake Bay. So I guess they don't know that they blame blame them down here for the pollution of the Chesapeake (laughs) Bay. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And it's hard to convince All those people in Susquehanna are ruining the bay. It has nothing to do with us. And the, and the cows in Lancaster County. <laughs> right, absolutely. Oh, man. <laughs> exactly, right. Right, right, right. So for you, when you set out to do your research, I mean, uh-huh. is it, you know, talking to people that you grew up with or that your father worked with on the water, or is it just however you kind of come to a story? I mean, how, well, how do you... I, it was a lot of that, yes, because a lot of people that I knew and were, are in the book. Now, the the second book was a lot different because I didn't know a lot of people in, in the northern part of the bay. If if I knew somebody, I would ask, well, you know any interesting people up there? And they would tell me. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strategy. Yeah, right, yeah. But uh, it was a little different. But, but the first book, I generally knew just about everybody that was in the book. When you're doing the second book, I, I've always, so in my writing, it's always difficult to get that kind of referral because there's one of two responses. There's... Either I don't trust you and I'm not going to tell you anything, mm. or they give the person that you're going to interview the impression that the book is about them, and then you have a seven-hour conversation that could have just probably <laughs> been 45 yeah. minutes. Well, they, another interesting facet of this whole thing was when the first book came out, I, I did a lot of craft shows. I sold my books at craft shows. Oh, okay. And it's amazing how many people will come up to will you come up to you at a craft show and say, oh, well, I know so-and-so, or I did this, or I was a waterman, or I, you know, and, and you get in a conversation, and I, oh, I, I need you to go in this next book, you know. So I, a lot of people came that, that way, sort of through the back door. That happened to me at Sharptown. I need to go back to Sharptown Fire Department. I think it's the fire department. They have like a cultural um, event. I It might be now. It might be in March or in April, Mm. but it's a cultural event where they sell Indian arrowheads and a Mm. lot of a lot of things like that. And I I had this this goofy Eastern Shore beer book, and people were coming up to me and telling me stories about how their grandpa brewed beer brewed beer in the in their in their barns, and I'm like. Where were you six months ago? That book's already out. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> There's right, so right. little I can do about that now. <laughs> well, do you also find, and I, you know, as a person who frequently writes about the Eastern Shore, do you find that some of what you're doing feels like an act of preservation? Because I think for me, because so much mm. of this Waterman culture, uh, so much of the the physical islands themselves are disappearing. Absolutely, the graves are sinking beneath the water. The Young people are not going out on the boats. The skipjacks right. are not. They used to be all over, and now there's just, you know, we're, we're down to a few. Do you feel that for you, the research you're doing, the stories you're capturing, the people you're talking to, 
does it feel pre- like a work of preservation at times? Oh, certainly, yes, because uh, as you said, you know, the Eastern Shore is changing and has changed drastically. I remember I went to the Air Force when I was 17, and I came home on leave. I guess I was on a train, and I ended up in Baltimore, and it was in like the wee hours of the morning. There was no bus out until the next morning. Well, the Bay Bridge was there in those days. So I called my mother because I didn't want to stay in the bus station all night, and she drove up and got me. And when we crossed the Bay Bridge and got on the Eastern Shore, we did not see another car either coming or going all the way home. And home was Dorchester County. Home was Cambridge at, at yeah, that point. Yeah, so wow, that's a long stretch. That's a, a long, long, lonely stretch. stretch. There, was, there were no cars. I've, so I'm originally from New Jersey, and uh, I knew several people who were in the Navy, and they would come down the eastern shore mm-hmm. to Norfolk, and they would talk about how there was like this dread of once you hit the eastern shore because it was a, it was a two-lane road, right. and it was pitch dark and you couldn't tell the side of the road from the asphalt except for the way that the car felt underneath you and it's just this long and then so in, and this is 1964 mm-hmm. right 1965 and it's just it's just a uh it's like driving in a closet is right. is, is 301 301 was the same way you know 301 was a very lonely lonely road up until recently really and when you we we touched on it a little bit and you did talk about it in your reading, there's kind of like this act of preservation for the act itself, as in Holland's Island. And for those of you who don't know, is Holland's Island still there or is it all the way gone now? No, there's a little piece of it still there. Yeah, it's, it's not much. It's, it's essentially a rookery for a lot of birds. So there is there there there's a place out in the Chesapeake that we're going to call Holland's Island for now. I don't know if it's still geographically an island. Um, but you sp- spoke with a gentleman who was trying so hard to save it for mm-hmm. all of his life. We've mm-hmm. actually had authors on before who had done some work with him. Um, talk to me about what what made you want to write about this man who wanted to do this Promethean kind of task. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my father was born on that island. And all my life I've been fascinated by that island because he would tell stories and about the island and about growing up. And uh, like what, like, well, uh, he was he was a good he was a good uh, storyteller. Uh-huh. <laughs> he would he would say that uh, when when the tide came up, uh, his job was to go down and get the rowboats and tie them to the doorknobs. For example, <laughs> really, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Far fetched. <laughs> yeah. and, and Holland's got its name because uh, there was an empty bottle of Holland's gin on the beach, you know. And, and <laughs> yeah, but. But people were, were just um, fascinated with, with his stories, and so was I. And I always wanted him to take me over there. And he, oh, yeah, well, we'll go. And he never did. Never did. Well, he died He died in 1964 or something like that. So I never got a chance to go until my daughter was in middle school, and she was doing an honors English presentation and it had to be on something about maryland history so i said i know where we should go right so i didn't have a boat at the time so a friend of mine did and he took us over there and it was just fascinating to me i mean i walked around that place and we picked up uh, uh, pieces of pottery and and bricks from foundations and i it was just like being in church for me oh yeah you know and uh and I didn't go back for for quite a while after that. Uh, she finished her project and all that. And uh, and then after I started writing the book, I, I did go back there, and uh, I anchored the boat 
by the island, behind the island, and went in, and, and lo and behold, I saw people walking around. So I went in, and it turned out to be uh, Reverend White and his wife. Yep, they were sure. there. Stephen and, White. Yeah, Stephen White and his wife. They did an interview for me right there on the beach. Oh, wow. That was happenstance that you got that? No, it was just book? happenstance. Right? That's fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reverend Stephen White, Mr. White, I've actually had the privilege to publish his book, and he calls his book about Holland's Island, The Day the Laughter Died. He was a man who was very tied to that island. I mean, I think at one point he owned 98% of it. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, and I asked him, I was like, well, who had the other 2%? I think it was a lawyer in Texas or lawyer, something. A lawyer in Denton. Denton. Okay, yeah. Denton. I don't know where I got it. Might as well be from. Texas. Yeah, might as well be Texas. <laughs> Far enough away. Yeah. But I remember in talking with him about his, just like you said, Promethean, like these this effort to try to save an island that, you know, nature was bound and determined to take back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I remember reading some of the stories about the the graves that, you know, he would go kind of tend to the graves. And then, you know, the next time he would come back, they would be underwater. Mm-hmm. And you could just watch this man be just heartbroken about that, yeah, yeah. you know. And it's, and I think what it, for me, it symbolizes is that, you know, Eastern Shore people were very tied to this land. And when you literally watch it sink beneath the surface, it, it, it is heart-wrenching. It was for him. Mm-hmm. It sure. Yeah, it's sad. It was a bittersweet day, my first trip there with my daughter, because all along the, the edges of the shore, there were uh, tombstones that had washed out, like you said, had washed out of the grave. And I actually found my grandmother's grave. Someone in the family had gone there and removed the, but but it was like, you know, they, the hole was there. And sure, you could see. right. And and it was a, that was actually a high spot on the island at that point. Uh, there were three graveyards on there at one time, and I think one is still there. I love the fact that you said I didn't have my own boat, so I couldn't get there, and we mm-hmm. just accepted that. Like people <laughs> yeah, are like, right. wait, wait, you only we are really not very far removed from a time, especially on the eastern shore, where having a boat was more important than having a car. That's, well, that's right. A boat is like a pickup truck. Go to Smith Island. Those those guys they get around stand here. That's that's their transportation. It's and, the boat. And it and it's like so so a guy, for a guy like me, like I'm not I'm not a boat guy, and so it's always novel to go on a boat. But these are guys, people who don't get any more novelty from a boat than no, no, than, than right, they do right. from a car. I interviewed a fellow named Dallas Bradshaw. He went in the Navy during the war. And uh, and he was stationed down in uh, somewhere close to, to Williamsburg, and they needed people to drive these. It was a fifty-seven foot LSD, so landing barges that would right, take like in troops in. Yeah, right. So they asked, "Has anybody had any boating experience?" Well, Dallas grew up on Smith Island. He said, "Yeah, I have." <laughs> he said, "Oh well, I guess you can drive one of these things." He said, oh, "Yeah, I think I can." He says, "He said, give me ten minutes to get out here, and I and I'll I'll show you." It had twin uh, big diesel engines in the thing. So he said, okay, you've got your 10 minutes. And he was a little bit sarcastic because he thought Dallas was, you know, just a Yahoo, you know, doing that. Sure. Dallas had his 10 minutes, and he said, okay, I'm ready. He said, okay, we'll bring her in here and, and back her right in close to the to the dock. Okay. So he said he, he, he headed for the dock at full speed and forward. He threw one in reverse and one in forward, and she spun around in its length, and he backed up within two or three feet of the dock. Right. So people were backing up. He was, <laughs> and, he, and he said that the old guy looked at him and said, oh, by God, I guess we've got ourselves a coxswain. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you chose to call your book Chesapeake People. Was the idea that you were going to do 
a general history or more vignettes? Can you tell us a little bit about the meat yeah. of the book? Well, it's uh, short biographies of, I think it's eight or nine or ten people. I wanted to call it Chesapeake People two, three, four, you know. Sure. But uh, I changed, uh, when I was doing this, I changed publishers and went with Schiffer for the next one, and they wouldn't call it Chesapeake People. They, uh, so I had to call it something else. Because they didn't it. want the other guy getting credit. I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it ended up being Chesapeake Men, and then the fifth one is Chesapeake Women. When when they're like, well, your new book's going to be called Chesapeake Men, you're like, okay, well, then these three women have to be in the next book. Is that... No, no. Actually, I talked to a, a gentleman from Chrisfield. He he was originally from Smith Island, and he said, "You know," he says, "My wife has a pretty a lot of stories. She's from Smith Island, also. Maybe you ought to do a book about women." I said, there "Aren't many women in your book?" And I said, "Well, that's probably a good idea." So yeah. that's where that came from. And now, when you're doing the research, is this all interview based? Is there any? It's all, any uh, yeah, it's all interview based. Right. Now, so the first publisher for this, um, for with Chesapeake people went out of business mm-hmm. or just yeah, kind of, right. they kind of right. closed down. Mm-hmm. And so you were, did you approach Ron Souter of Seeking Publishing or did yeah, he did. find you or how did that yeah. relationship work out to bring into the, the new republishing? Yeah. In the paper was an article about the uh, Oblate's Confession. Yes. And yes. that fellow, that, the fellow that wrote that was from Easton. So the yep, local Bill paper Peek. did a, did a, a spread on that. And I read that and I said, oh, hmm. I looked at his website, and it said something about heritage, Eastern Shore heritage, and, and dedicated to that. So I thought, well, my stuff kind of fits in there. As they say, everything, the rest is history. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a really he's a really nice fellow, uh, yeah, that Ron is, Souter. And so we've had a couple of his authors on, so I'm mm-hmm. glad we add you into the mix there. When you started pitching publishers at first, were the books most of the way done, and you had to find someone to publish them? Or did you have an idea that you were pitching? Because I know it goes both ways. My first book, I was actually trying to sell a completed book. And they're like, we don't want that book. But we don't mind the idea. If you pitch mm-hmm. us some things along that line, maybe we'll publish something else. So what were you pitching ideas? Were you pitching the, the final book? And um, what was the first book that you published? Well, the, the first one was Chesapeake Winds and Tides. And that was the one the that I traveled to, to Midbay. And, uh, and I had finished the book. And then I went in search of publishers. And it's been it's been a long time now because that came out in two thousand five. Oh so, wow! Uh, or I mean two thousand eight. I started working on it two thousand five, and I couldn't find any traditional publisher, quote unquote, that wanted it. And so I found this. I don't remember how I found Cherokee Books. It's essentially a one man operation out of Dover, Delaware, and uh, I liked the guy, and he seemed to be pretty straightforward. And then he, he ended up he was that way. So he did the first three. My first three, but including this one, and uh, but he he died about a year ago, and it's now defunct. I think I talked to Ron um, last weekend, and I think he wants my first two books also. Uh, he'll do those like like Chesapeake people. Right, and then after uh, Cherokee, uh, mm-hmm. the the fellow that you were mentioning out of Dover, um, then you went to Schieffer. Schieffer, and, uh, Schieffer, yeah. right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And had the, the, then the last, the last two, two were with Schiffer. Were with mm-hmm. Right, right. And pitching them, was it the same thing you're trying to get them to publish the book? Was it, was it easy? What well, was it? Uh, well, I, I thought Schiffer would, would be a shoe-in because they bought uh, Tidewater Publishing out of – that originally was up in Centerville. And that mm-hmm. was, a, I, I thought, just a wonderful place. In fact, yeah. I, I really thought they were interested in my first book. And, and I got really good vibes from them when I took it up there. And and uh, and then about two months later, uh, I got the proverbial letter of rejection. And in looking back, I think what happened in in the meantime, they had sold the place, 
and you know to Schiffer. But anyway, so that's why I went with Schiffer because I thought, well, they'll they'll just continue that that uh, that sort of thing that, that Tidewater always yeah. did, and and I thought Tidewater was was terrific. But uh, now you were a teacher at the time. You've been teaching this whole time. Are you? Well, I was in administration. Yeah. And the point is, you you were doing a day job. Oh yeah. You, yeah. you had a day right. job, and you're yes, and you're balancing right. yeah. that with the writing. Right. Did you have like a like so me? Uh, everybody makes fun of me because I get up at obscenely early hours and I, I do all my work before most people are up. Right. And then they're like, why did you bombard me with all these emails first thing in the morning? <laughs> so where did you find time to write while you were having it? Because administrations, that's, that's a real job. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I, what I would do, uh, researching those first two, would require a lot of travel by boat. And uh, I always did that alone. Mm. And I didn't take anybody with me. And I've been out a week or ten days at a time. Uh, doing that, and I, I did like three rivers in one trip. Wow! Like in ten days, and and there's a lot of downtime after you do the rivers. You know, you you're, you're sitting there, and, and and I'd take a tape recorder with me, and and uh, and and sketch off some some things. So that I did a lot of it that way, and then when I got home, I'd put it in in the computer and and dress it up a little bit. Oh, so that's interesting. So you're writing from your own. Uh, recording your own verbal notes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And once you committed to tape, was it hard to deviate? Like, were you, like, were you inspiring yourself? Because I can imagine listening, (laughs) listening to my, and saying, oh, you know what? That's wrong. But that makes me think of something else. Did that happen to you very often? Well, the the other thing I did uh, was I I have a log book. And as I would travel in these rivers, I would make notes in my log book. You know, oh, there's a Holland Island light, and it's so many feet tall, and it's, you know, and there's a story about that, it, and, and those sorts of things, um, and things that would happen, and they're all in the logbook, and I, I also kept a timeline, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, I, in that between that and the and the recordings, you know, I was able to piece something together. And the Holland Island, there was a there was a murder in that lighthouse, right? Was that the one Holland? Was it Holland Bar? Holland Island Bar Light. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, if you go back, I believe yeah. you're right. There was a murder. And it they... was also fired upon by the U.S. Navy. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that part. In 19, I think, 57, it was manned by the Coast Guard. And the, the Navy uh, came over for target practice on Sharps Island, which is not too far from there. And they missed the target. <laughs> and they fired, they fired on, on uh, the Holland Island Bar Light. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. No, I knew that there – I'd heard there was a – Maybe not a murder, but a very suspicious death yeah, of the a, lighthouse. The lighthouse keeper. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Oh you're yes, right. we we've, yes. we've actually. I think we've talked about that on a previous show. We may, we mm-hmm. may have. So mm-hmm. I apologize if I'm repeating myself. <laughs> I, but I think I just think I'm completely fascinated with that. So I'm going to mm-hmm. have to probably look into that sometime. Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah. And now from these notes, were you able to tease out more details as you reflected upon them? Was that part of it, like what the lighthouse looked like and things like yeah. that? Well. I took a lot of pictures also. Ah, that helps. I took a yeah. whole tribe of pictures. And uh, and I tried to, um, you know, I'd number the things because this was pre, well, I, I wasn't very computer savvy. still aren't. I'm still not. And uh, and try to, you know, uh, record and put a, a code with the, with the photo so I knew to where it was. And all, yeah. Yeah, right. and, and it, it kind of fell in pretty well. And then a lot of times I would do, very seldom did I do the interview 
Now, now the the one on Highlands Island that was that was done that way because that was mm. rather serendipity, right? Uh, to 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 find those people there, but but you, most of the interviews were done after the fact, you know, or before, right? You know, right. on each of the rivers. I've done I've done that very thing um, where I'll go and uh, explore the area to get the context, mm. and mm. then just do a phone on a phone interview. Right. Because either the person's not available or the person doesn't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. But you put – you get the context. So and we've talked about this before, the idea that the smell and the and the taste of the air and the general vibe you get from an area, um, you need that. Even if you don't use it, you need it to get the feeling into the description, right? So you mm-hmm. don't have to describe mm-hmm. every every last thing, but you need to know every last thing so you can describe what's – important to a a viewer who's never Mm -hmm. been there Mm -hmm. um do you find that people who have read your book are attracted to coming to these places or to seeing these places or yeah i've had people that actually took that first book and 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 uh, followed my travels by car oh that's awesome that's fantastic yeah that's town to town to town and uh, nobody that i know of has done it by water that i know of but but a lot of them have used it for for travel and and they go around and see the places like that, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, Stephanie's book has uh, her her crossings book. People have done mm-hmm. that with, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just had a uh, Kim Cash on, and she's a uh, a mystery writer, and she actually suggests reading local books and going to where, like when you're on vacation. Yeah, when you're mm-hmm. on vacation, if you're going to vacation right. in a strange place, to read a book from that place, and just to give you a little context, and you're like, well, I I've got I've got six hours to kill. Oh, really? Well. You know, Holland's Island's only three mm-hmm. hours away. Why don't you jump out there and, you know, get, splash around there a little bit before right. before right. you go home? And it was did you have that in mind? What what did you have in mind when you wanted to start doing this kind of preservation project? Well, I, I just thought there was there was a, a lot of people that had a great wonderment about the Chesapeake Bay and and uh, and everything that that embodies you know, from the from the environmental point of view. Uh, from fishing and crabbing and oystering and and what the crabs look like and you know oysters is also and I just I just saw it as something that that might be of interest to a lot of people and and it has been that for my first book is, is it's my biggest seller and mm. it's sold a uh, you know it's been in I think it's in it's third printing right now I think wow. wow. And if Ron takes it, that'll be the fourth. <laughs> sure. Well, I think also there's something to be said for the authority to tell some of these stories. Cause I know as a native, uh, Eastern shore, shore woman myself, mm-hmm. you know, if, if someone from New Jersey comes right. and writes about the waterman right, here, right. there's something about it that feels a little prickly to me. I get mm-hmm. a little, I take a little umbrage at it, you know? And so when, you know, I feel like a phony when I try <laughs> and maybe I really and, do No, yeah, and I, I feel like know. a tourist. And I don't know if that harkens back to, you know, the isolation and, you know, people like bonded, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, so tightly mm-hmm, down here and, and all that. But I still feel it even myself when people are like from somewhere else try to write about the Eastern Shore. I'm, unless it's fiction, I can I can pass on that. But when it's the, the when it's our stuff, you know, I sort of feel like, you know, you born in Dorchester County, son of a waterman. I'm like, that guy can write about the Eastern Shore mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get mad about it. Is there, well, is there, I also had a, had a... Uh, from the earliest age, uh, every summer uh, we would go over on the other side of the bay, which is different, 
and because Pop started over there, he started taking fishing parties over to a, a beach over there, and it ended up he ended up d- taking over the business. So for my first twenty one or two years, uh, I spent most of my summers there. And the bay was just fascinating for me. I, I could I could go hop in a rowboat that was tied to the pier, and just just stand there and just be fascinated at the way the boat displaces the water, and look over the side at the minnows and the things that were. It was just I, I just couldn't get over it, and and that from that I sort of felt like I owned it. I mean I owned a piece of that bay. It was right. my bay. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, I, really, I felt that way. And so if, if you didn't like the, the bay, you, you know, I, I didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the, you know, that speaks to part of the waterman culture and, yeah. and being from the Eastern shore, being from this area is that we, we do feel that ownership. We mm-hmm. do feel that connection. And, and, you know, when I look out on different areas, like I, I sort I feel that connection to our landscape probably more than any other place I've ever been to. You know, mm-hmm. you, you feel that your hands in the earth, your right, hands right. and feet exactly. in the mud, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of sensation. Right. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. And so coming up now, you've got these uh, these books out. Do you have another one that you're working on? Do you have something on the horizon? No, no I, I don't. Not not in the, not at the moment. Uh, the books uh, have not been selling too well uh, of late. <laughs> after after Kindles and and all the other things came out, uh, so it just kind of takes away a little bit of the motivation. Mm. Not that not that I do it. I, I never. I didn't do it to begin with for the money. But you like a couple dollars. But back. It, but it would be nice to be rewarded for all this time that you put into it. You know? Sure, absolutely. Uh, but but I have some in mind. Um, I actually wrote a novel. It, it was a, it was very bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I did that. I was in Florida. We went down there for a week, and I started it down there. And I started writing right these these little 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 uh, stories of of growing up pretty much at that beach. And uh, you know, my friend and I, what we would do and get in a little bit of mischief. And it right. was it was like one summer that went through. And uh, I, I shared it with, with a couple of people. and said, well, what's your theme? Oh, I don't have a theme. <laughs> Gilbert Byron didn't have a theme in Lord's Oysters either. You know, that's <laughs> what I thought. But anyway, that, that's, that's resting in the, draw, in the desk drawer for, for now. But it could be regurgitated maybe and, and, uh, and, and, and put a little surgery in there and do something, it's, with, it's, something like that. It's know? always tough when you've committed like 20,000 words and like, oh, this is, this is going nowhere. Yeah. I'm never going to get that time back. And I knew knew it needed a lot of work. But but it was just just fun doing it. Well, sometimes we do it for fun. Sometimes we do it for the the money. Right. Do you know what else needs a lot of work? Your limericks. My limericks do. I need more practice. You always need more practice. I wonder how people could give me practice limericks to do. Well, if you're out there and you're listening and you'd like a limerick and a haiku, if you go to the SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, there's a contact form, and you can put your name, your email, and you can pick a word, and Tony will put it into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. We'll put it on a postcard, slap a stamp on it, and put it in the mail. Just like it's 1850, we will pay a man to bring this to your house. It might come on a pony. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephanie, so uh, now's the part of the show where you thank the guest. Oh, Don, thank you so much for coming. It was an absolute delight. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media. 
and indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and if you feel like it, give us a great review there. Tell your story.